This is the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie, and Huskers Radio Network analyst, Jeremiah Searles. And we welcome you back into another edition of the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, a bi-week edition. I'm Jessica Cootie, along with Jeremiah Searles. Hey, so you got relegated into the basement. You've got your beanie cap on. you got a new setup behind you. You have made moves. I have. You know, <laughs> when you're expecting baby number three, your office gets converted into a nursery. So then you get booted to the basement. So I am now in the basement, but it is nice. Got the whole new setup. Got everything going. You know, all my lovely decorating skills behind me. Not, that was not you. My, not a chance. That's all the wife. 100% the wife behind me. If it was up to me, there'd just be like a folding table down here and a, and a computer. So, no, we're in the basement now. But, yeah, we got a little bi-week bonanza going here. Well, before we uh, get into all the fun stuff, I guess, first of all, your reaction. You said that the offense is going to have to score 30 points. They scored 37. At least the offense got going uh, against yeah. Purdue. Yeah, and, and by offense, you mean Trey Palmer. <laughs> you know, if you want to say the offense got going, if you just look at the stat line, I mean, Trey Palmer had – basically 50% of Nebraska's yards, if not more. And when you have a special talent like that, like guys can do that. You know, it was very similar to the David Bell, um, what he did to Iowa last year for Purdue, where he just was unstoppable. I mean, dude averaged 33.9, almost 34 yards per a catch. I mean, that's insane. They just couldn't cover him. And props to Casey um, for being able to see him and just knowing that he was hot and feeling good and just giving him opportunities with the ball. You know, he um, was unbelievable. And Casey told me after the game, he thinks he just keeps getting better every week, which if teams are going to try to key in on him, which for some reason they were still matching up one-on-one, -on -one, there's not a lot of defensive backs that are going to be able to match up mm. with Trey Palmer one-on-one, -on -one, right? No, not at all. I mean, and here's the thing, though. So, like, you, if you look at what Nebraska did in the passing game, right, Nebraska really only threw – to three receivers, Travis or Marcus Washington, Oliver Martin, and Trey Palmer, right? That was really it. And then Travis Vokalek had three catches too. So you had four guys that caught the ball out of Nebraska's weapons, right? You look at what Purdue did. Purdue had it almost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different people catch the ball. You know, that's something that we need to look at in the bye week and be like, okay, how do we get more people the ball? Because as great as Trey Palmer was and as great as he's going to be, eventually teams are going to be like, okay, make someone else beat us, you know, and they're going to bracket coverage him. They're going to throw a safety over the top. They're going to put their best corner on him at all times. It's going to be up to other guys to win. So as great as he is right now, other guys are going to have to start stepping up around him because teams are going to scheme for a guy. You don't let a guy go for 237 and the next week go in the scouting room and be like, ah, we'll stop him this week. But I think that's what this offense believes they have in that wide receiver room. It just so happened that, hey, they didn't do anything to stop Trey Palmer. It was working. He kept getting open. So we're going to keep getting in the, the football. But I do think that there is enough pieces and enough talent that Casey can spread the ball around when teams do try to take away Trey Palmer. I mean, Marcus Washington, if you, I think that's, again, that mentality that Mickey Joseph instilled in this room from the second he stepped on campus here in Lincoln is that we are going to match up one-on-one -on -one and we are going to win every single one-on-one -on -one matchup that we have. We're going to have that mentality that it doesn't matter who the ball is going to, we're coming down with it. Absolutely, and you have to have that as a receiver, especially as an elite wide receiver in the Big Ten and the SEC, whatever the best conference is, and then as you want to go have NFL aspirations, you have to be considering yourself unguardable. You know, and Trey Palmer did that on Saturday night, which was great, but I think, yeah, it is up to guys like Marcus Washington specifically. I think guys like Alante Brown, 
Oliver Martin, you know, those type of guys have to start embodying. And, you know, it's kind of like what I said with sacks. You know, everyone wants to get involved in the sack game. When you have a receiver that's ripping off yardage like that, everyone wants the ball. Now, granted, there's only one ball to go around, um, but I think this receiver room is really good. I think they're all really good friends. I think they're all really good teammates, and they're going to be equally happy as long as all of them have success, and they're all going for wins, right? I think this, that's one thing. I think this is a very unselfish receiver room, and I've been a part of some selfish receiver rooms. You know, I think this is very unselfish. They just really want the team to win. They want what's best for the offense. They want what's best for the Huskers. And you can win a lot of football games and be really successful on offense if that's your mentality. No, I, I, I talked about this last week. You and I talked about it. But I love Trey Palmer's demeanor. It is not about him. I can't, for the life of me, get him to talk about himself in interviews. I mean, he is team guy. He scored the last touchdown he scored, uh, the big pass play. He didn't want to stop to celebrate. He went right down to talk to the defense and, hey, let's go. Let's get a stop here and get the ball back. I mean, he's, he's a team guy, so it's been fun to watch him on the sidelines. And, and I, I do. I think that there will be some other guys that will step up. On the flip side of that, Casey Thompson obviously found Trey a lot, but Casey will be the first to tell you he missed a couple. That could have been the difference. One of those, a wide-open Elante Brown in the end zone. But I think Casey very much needed a bye week. He, I think he was pretty banged up. Yeah, he's gotten the crap beat out of him the last few games. There's, I mean, there's no way around that. Our offensive line has to be better. There was a few times in that game that I, I texted one of our group chats. It's like, it's a legitimate race to the quarterback off the edges right now. Like, the two DNs hit each other at nine and a half yards without being touched. And that's just unacceptable. Like, that can't happen. And you see Casey standing in there, and even the announcer's like, man, way to stand in there and take that hit and make that throw. But when they're saying it three, four, five times a game, that's not a good health for your quarterback. I mean, just look at the Justin Fields right now with the Bears. Like, he was walking off the field at halftime, literally with the look on his face, like, kill me. Like, he just, he's getting killed. And at times, you see Casey Thompson, too, just back there getting killed. And that just can't happen because when you have a guy as talented as Casey and you have receivers as talented and nothing knocking on Chubb or Purdy, anyone, but he is the starter. You're going to win games with your starter. You're going to lose games in close games like that with your backup. It's just facts. So you can't get him hurt. So I think the bye week comes at a really good time time to get him recovered, get him rested up, and just get him really uh, as healthy as he can at this point in the season for the back half of uh, the schedule here. Well, they were down another offensive lineman, Brock Bando, did yep. not make the trip. And, you know, I don't, we've, we've talked enough about it, about what needs to be done with the offensive lineman. More so, my question is, when you are rotating, and, and you've talked about how uh, beneficial it is when you do get the guys locked into that spot and you start getting a rhythm, but if you do have to keep moving guys around and plugging them in where you can with the lack of depth. What goes into that and being able to be ready in no matter spot that you're needed each and every week? It's not easy, you know, and you're seeing it. Guys are struggling, you know, guys are starting to um, not be able to develop as quickly as we would like them to. Now, I will say it was nice to see Henry Lutovsky get a full game under his belt and see what he can do. I think he has some really special ability as a young player. I don't necessarily think he's ready to be starting right now, but I think he really shows a lot of qualities that he could be a very good starter for us in the future of this back part of the year, getting some good experience, and then really going into next year, he's laying some really good groundwork to become and take that next jump to be a starting all 12 games on this offensive line. You know, overall, these guys just have to keep preparing every week like it's the hardest week of their life, and it's hard to do every week to ratchet yourself up and be as prepared as possible, especially if it's at multiple positions. You know, if you're trying to study for guard and study for a swing tackle, and maybe you're going to have to back up center, whatever it might be, you know, you have to just be ready because we're in these close games. We're in these 
these shootouts on offense, like you can't come in and be the weak link in the chain, especially on offensive line. You know, if you're in a game where you were having to pass the ball 30 times a game and we need to have those moments back there, we're in a two-minute drill right beforehand, you can't come in and be cold and not prepared or they throw a blitz and you miss the blitz pickup. Like you have to be so mentally dialed in that they can put you at any position. And that is not easy to do when you're trying to balance football or trying to balance school you're trying to balance all that, but that's what it takes to be a winning football team when your depth gets tested, especially on the offensive line. Still were able to put up 37 points, and I yeah. love the demeanor on the sideline. They never once looked like, even when they got down 14 and things were not going right, that even with the offense, they were like, hey, we're, we're going to go score. We're going to win this thing. There was... When you have an offense that can do, even despite Casey being pressured, still put up the kind of production, you're going to be in a lot of games. Absolutely. Yeah, you, when you can score 37, you're going to win majority of the time. Um, but you just can't give up 43. You know, I think that if you look at the difference in this football game as to why I think that we lost this football game, it's because of the run game. You know, we were great in the pass game. We, were, we had over 354 yards passing, which is phenomenal. We had the two touchdown passes. But when you look at our run game, I mean, our run game is where we really struggled. I mean, we barely eclipsed 100 yards, if that for running the football and then you look on the flip side of what Purdue did and Purdue had over one guy with almost 200 yards you know so when you look at what was the difference in this game it was 100% the rushing attack and I think that if we can start developing the rushing attack and try and basically mirror what Purdue does I mean they we don't want to throw the ball 54 times like they did but we also want to run the ball more effectively become more balanced and if we can do that this offense can easily be an offense that scores 40 plus points a game which that's what you're going to have to do when you have a defense that's allowing 40 plus points a game a couple of the scores though that were given up the defense are put in bad spots interception yep. a bad punt and so and then you you are out luke reimer and then you lose nick henrich and so it, it was a tough go at it but i also think too and i've said this a couple Couple times with Greg on Sports Nightly and, and even leading into it. Outside of Michigan, I feel like that was going to be the toughest matchup, specifically for the defense on the rest of the schedule. No, Minnesota's one that I think may give us a hard time. You know, it shoot it, Illinois, too. You know, I think Illinois that, does not have an elite offense. I think Purdue, they're statistically <laughs> up there, and the quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, and the wide receiver, Charlie Jones, those are two guys that are really tough to match up with. I agree, but I think that it's completely different offenses. I think Purdue is more of a dynamic offense, so I think you're right in the regards that the dynamic down-the-field passing game is Purdue is probably the best we'll see on the schedule besides Michigan. However, I think that Illinois and Minnesota's downhill run game is the difference there. Purdue doesn't have the downhill run game where they just commit to the run like the Illinois and Minnesota will do. And we've seen Minnesota's been struggling on offense, especially with Tanner Morgan being hurt. You know, but in the last few years, Minnesota's been able to keep our offense off the field. And that's where if we're going to have an offense that scores like this, if we limit our possession time, they limit the amount of times our offense touches the football, that's where the things can get skewed. You know, so I think the big thing is just going to be controlling the line of scrimmages against Minnesota and Illinois. But I will agree with you that besides Michigan, this is the most dynamic outside threat that we will have faced all year. Valentino's has been a Nebraska tradition since 1957. Get the big red double jumbo deal. Two one-topping jumbo pizzas for only $18.29 each. Well, what a wild weekend of college football. What were your big takeaways? <laughs> if you're a Tennessee fan, are you rushing the field? 
Never. I will never rush the field. Never, <laughs> ever, ever will I ever rush the field. I think that that is just claustrophobia waiting to happen, and I have absolutely zero desire. Have for you that. been on the field when a team rushed it? Yes. Texas A&M, 2010. We were ranked, I don't know, ninth, and I think they were ranked 11th, and they actually set the attendance record at that game. It was a night game, and uh, we got absolutely screwed on a roughing the passing call from Courtney Osborne against Ryan Tannehill, and uh, we ended up losing that game. And as I'm running off the field, like just mounds of students are f piling onto the field and people and you're pissed you just lost the game and we're trying to get off the field and, like you're trying not to be a dick and like bumping into people <laughs> but at the same time it's like get out of my way like this is not where you're supposed to be and so you're just kind of moving and I remember one guy kind of bumped into me and it took everything in my power not to just throw an extra little shoulder in there um, but yeah it's not fun to be on the field when someone rushes it it's not something I have any desire to ever do but however I would love to watch Alabama-Tennessee play every single week for the rest of the season. That was such a fun football game. Yeah, I mean, for all the talk and the griping about the points that were scored in the Nebraska-Purdue game, there were a lot of points scored across all of those close games in college football. Yeah, I mean, college football right now is in an elite spot. You know, I think that everyone always thinks that college football is going to be always these weeks of just these huge blowouts and not fun, and it's not fun to watch, and blah, 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 all happy bunch of crap. However, I think college football right now is more entertaining than the NFL. The NFL right now is awful. If I have to watch the Broncos on Thursday night, Monday night, or Sunday night one more time, I'm going to stab myself Thursday in the night, eyeballs. Sunday night or Monday night, any night. It, any night. If the Broncos are on primetime at all, I, I honestly think Goodell was like, oh, yeah, Bezos, you like to buy Thursday night football? Here, just watch the Broncos. You know, like, no one wants to watch that, and it's it's been brutal, but I feel like college football scheduling has done a brilliant job of having some really good matchups in primetime. Well, overall, what what's your take? on the Big Ten. I mean, where do you think it stacks up? Could potentially, if Michigan and Ohio State keep taking care of business, could we get two teams in the college football playoff? Is that, are they good enough to have two Big Ten representatives? That'll be tough because those teams are going to have to beat one another. You know, it's going to be kind of like the Georgia-Alabama thing. However, those two are on separate sides of the conference, right? So they can meet in the conference championship versus you're going to have a team that Ohio State or Michigan will be in the conference championship playing against a very lesser Big Ten West team. You know, the Big Ten West is head and shoulders below the Big Ten East, obviously. I mean, they have Ohio State and Michigan who are top five teams in the country. And so I think that it's going to be a one representative team because I do think that that's going to be a great game because Michigan's offensive line right now is playing at an incredibly high level. That's how they handled Ohio State last year was by running the football and taking them down the field and just basically run it in at will however i think ohio state's going to be way better and more prepared this year to just throw it over the yard it's not going to hopefully be some rain snowy crappy game where they can take advantage it's a really good game a really good matchup but overall the big 10 right now it's michigan ohio state penn state's kind of right in there in that mix in the third best team but other than that everyone else is way below that line but listen, as far as the West goes, there's still a lot of opportunities for this Nebraska football team. And I think they truly believe that, that, you know, there's going to be some more opportunities and some potential close games that they had, you know, Casey Thompson mentioned it to me in his post game that, hey, we've, we found a way to win these and finish these the two weeks prior to this. We were in this one, didn't finish, but there might be some more opportunities on the table for the rest of the season. Absolutely. No one has taken the West and just grabbed it and ran with it and be like, nope. 
it's our division we're going to run. You know, Minnesota looked like they were going to, and then they end up stumbling and falling. You know, Illinois looks like maybe they're the favorite. Purdue, you know, I think Purdue's probably the, as weird as it is to say, might be the favorite to win the West. Um, but there's a ton of opportunity because each week it seems like another team cannibalizes another team. So there's really no telling on a week-to-week -week basis who's going to come out on top. So if you just can candle on a one-week schedule and say, just win this week and then we'll reassess next week, there's a ton of opportunity for this Nebraska football team to keep making a run at it. They just have to start stacking wins together again. All right, well, we have not talked a lot on uh, this podcast about potential head coaching and, and Mickey still obviously very much could be the guy depending on how the rest of the season goes and I don't necessarily want to get your speculation on uh, a name but more so we've heard Trev talk a lot about certain things that he's looking for if you were in Trev's spot what do you think that he's looking for as far as a head coach and the qualities of that head coach you know the number one quality and this goes beyond football this goes beyond the white lines the number one quality for a head football coach at the college level is that he's a good leader of men. You know, you are, as a parent, sending your 18-year-old to a man that you're saying, I trust you to help my son in the most developmental years that can shape the rest of his life between ages 18 and 22, 23. You know, when you leave for college, you kind of become who you are as a person. And you're entrusting a head football coach to guide that person and lead that person and help them develop, not just as a football player, but as a person, as a human being, to go be a good man in society. You know, so that's the number one thing I'm looking for. Someone has a bit of a track record doing that or someone that you really feel has a good vision for that. Like, I mean, like I said, Mickey, I think, is still in the mix. If he has a good vision for what that looks like, then absolutely. Like, he could be as qualified as anyone, you know. But that's the number one thing I'm looking for. The number two thing that I'm looking for, if I'm Trev, you know, is just someone that is going to come in and is in it for the long haul. You know, if you look at it, we've had five years, six years, five years, four years, like whatever it is, like we have to get some stability in this. I mean, we want to find someone that is looking to be like, hey, this is where I want to be home for the next 10 years. You know, and that's not saying that they're going to be here all the way for 10 years because you obviously have to win in a performance business. But you don't want to go get someone that is looking for Nebraska as a stepping stone or is on the back end of their career or whatever it might be. Like you want to get some stability put into this place to get this place rebuilt to where we want it to be as fans, where we want it to be as a state, where Coach, or Mr. Trev wants it to be as an AD. You know, there's a lot of expectations of where this place needs to be and where it needs to go. So we need someone that's here for the long haul to take it there. How cool has it been, though, to see the Bayern? This could have been just a really tough situation for some of these players. But, again, every interview I do, they bring up Mickey Joseph, how much this entire locker room believes in him. But just to see that there is still belief in Mickey Joseph and that they're buying in and, and they're not just hanging up the cleats on the season, that they want to go do something special for Mickey because they believe so much in him. Yeah, you know, and that comes from Mickey believing so much in them. You know, when you have a head coach that you know will fight for you and you have a head coach that will stand at the podium and, and take the bullets for you and then you respect him because he might come in the meeting room and he might come down on you and he might demand a lot out of you, that's what you want out of a coach. You want a coach that demands excellence out of you and demands perfection out of you because you know that if you don't do it right by his way, he's not going to air you out to the entire media or to the entire world. You know, he's going to protect you. And I think he's done a great job of that. But you can also see on the sideline he coaches hard. Mickey Joseph's not afraid to get in guys' faces and, and find a way to pull the best out of all of these players. And you're seeing guys rise to that challenge and rise to that 
um, occasion that Mickey's putting in front of them. And so I really love what he's done. I love how the players are bought in with him because that's what you have to have in a winning culture. You can have no division. You can have no, oh, I'm this guy, I'm that guy. We don't disagree. It all has to be all in for one, one common goal, which is to win and to win a lot of football games no matter who's at the head of the table. I've enjoyed it. He's uh, He's been fun to to get to cover and talk to and do interviews with and you can tell you understand when you get to know him a little bit why the players like him okay so listen we've had a lot of interest and suggestions for halloween costumes for greg and i and by next week when we do this it'll be it'll be the weekend of halloween right so your kids they're already got their halloween costumes is oliver to the point where he wants to be a football player is he going to go as a hunter do you guys have that figured out yet if you buy by we guys, if you mean my wife, yes, my wife has had this figured out for probably a solid month now. So we're going to be a family of, uh, I'm going to be a rocket ship. My daughter, Aylin, is going to be an alien. And then my son is going to be an astronaut. Oliver's got his little astronaut costume that he still will never take off, even though it's still a ways away. And then my wife is going to be the moon because she's pregnant. So, you know, she'll have the little belly thing going for her. So we got a family costume going on, um, as I was zero involved in any of that. I love it. That's really creative. Yeah. Have you already Do tried you... on your rocket ship? Nope. We're still, we're still trying to find one big enough uh, from the old Amazon. So <laughs> we're trying to figure it out. But I'm sure it'll get here in time. Amazon's fantastic. We're going to have to put up a picture on the pod for our people that watch oh. on YouTube so that they can get a full glimpse My of the family. My favorite costume was two years ago, or right at 2019, when I had my ankle surgery. Um, Oliver was just a little tiny guy. He'd only been alive for like four months. And we did, uh, he was a hot dog, <laughs> like in a little hot dog thing. And then my wife dressed up as a big hot dog. And then I dressed up as like a hot dog vendor, but I was on my scooter at the time, my little like knee scooter, because I couldn't walk. And I would have actual Fairberry hot dogs I would hand out to people. That was a solid one. That was a really good costume. Hey, that's creative. Where does she get her ideas? Pinterest. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up this bi-week edition of the Sideline Slice, but we will be back next week for, hey, a big one, 2.30 kickoff with Illinois, and Illinois going to be a top 25 team coming in here. Absolutely. It's a huge game coming up next week. The guys got to get recovered this week, get rested, and make this big push for the back half of the season. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. For Jeremiah Searles, I'm Jessica Cootie. Thanks for listening, and make sure you're subscribed and liked wherever you listen so you never miss an episode right here on the Sideline Slice. Thanks for listening. Go Big Red. Valentino's, a slice of home you just can't get anywhere else. What started with a treasured family recipe in Lincoln, Nebraska has become a classic Italian tradition for 65 years.